0: I always love it whenever we're able to get our young kids up here. Because I think it just reminds us of, of the way in which God blesses us and also the way in which God motivates us as we see the next generation following in our footsteps. And it's wonderful to be able to see them here in a, in a place of of worship and praise and in a setting where we are opening up Scripture and talking about the importance of God. And our kids need to understand God's power and they they need to learn about His presence. And they need to be hearing conversations that deal with His provision on a regular basis. Not just in, in places like this, but also within our homes. But what we try to do when we, when we come together as a family here, we want to, to offer opportunities where your family can be uplifted and strengthened and, and your children can hear lessons and have times of prayer that, that mirror things that are perhaps already going on within your own family and conversations that you are already having. And so what I want us to do this morning is, we're getting ready to go back to school, we're going to start a brand new series. We're gonna start a brand new series of of lessons and I've put this uh, right here for a purpose because this is something that I'm going to be doing for specifically for our young people as they're going back to to school, as they're going back to college. But it's also going to be for those of you who are parents, those of you who are in the workforce right now, those of you who are also retired, this is gonna be a a large, all-encompassing series But it's going to be focused on something that you learned probably as a little child. It's all going to be focused on a story in Scripture that you have heard so many times that you think you know exactly how it goes. And you think you understand exactly who wins and who loses, who's the enemy. And who's the champion? You think. Our story takes place in the valley of Elah. And it's a valley where the armies of God have gathered. Where you have the the armies of Israel. That they have gone out to battle against the enemy of the Philistines. And they are on one side. The Philistines are on the other and there is all this preparation being made for this great battle that is going to take place. A battle that is going to reshape the political landscape. A battle that is going to truly show once and for all who has the God that is the most powerful. So you have the armies of Israel. And the armies of the Philistines. We don't go to their valley. In fact, we don't talk about being in valleys that much anymore. You read through the Old Testament and there's always a valley of this or a valley of that that people were going through. And we get so used to watching movies like Lord of the Rings and things of that nature and there's valleys of this and and that, but we don't use that term anymore even though you and I also have different valleys that we walk through and then we prepare for battle on. We've got that valley of debt. That we go through, parents, as you are putting your children, sending them off to college, right? You know that what that feels like. Maybe it's not even putting your kids off to college. Maybe it's just having children in general. And you understand what the valley of debt feels like. There's that valley of loss and grief that we go through from time to time. Whether it be because of death or whether it be because of the destruction of relationships that we're a part of. We know what that valley feels like. There there are those valleys of success and triumph, and there are those valleys of, of bitter defeat. We don't use that terminology, but we know what it means to be standing on one side, looking into the valley, and to see the enemy on the other side, and we're wondering, do I really want to go? Do I really want to take this challenge on? And so the champion of the Philistines comes out, and he stands and he taunts the army of the israelites and he says i defy the armies of israel today send me a man who will fight me now this was something that was practiced often in ancient times it was a way to be able to save lives and to prevent massive bloodshed because One army would send a champion, another army would send a champion. They would do one-on-one battle, and whichever champion won, that army was victorious, and the other army would then have to lay down their arms. And so Goliath says, you send me your champion. But as you see in the text, Saul, who was king for the Israelites, and all of his people heard this, and they were terrified— and they were deeply shaken. Terrified and deeply shaken. I think that oftentimes can describe the feeling of a middle schooler, right? Yeah. Terrified and deeply shaken. That's kind of how you feel that first week as you walk into middle school and you're seeing all of these people that that look familiar, but their voices are a lot deeper than they used to be. And you're looking up and you're wondering, will I ever be like them? And you're seeing all of these lockers and you're changing classes and there are all of these other things that are taking place within your body and within your life and you are terrified and deeply shaken. I think it also describes often how our teachers feel when it comes time to go back to school. They get the list of the students. And they'll say they don't do this, but they do. They look at that list and they start going down the names. And it's like, oh, 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 oh. Oh, sometimes it's Lord, 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 right? I mean, that's—you feel me, right, teachers? You understand that? Where where you are terrified, and and you're deeply shaken. You're leaving off for college for the first time, and you're telling everybody, this is going to be a breeze. I've got this down. I've got freedom. I've got an apartment. I've got roommates. I— I don't have to wash clothes. This is going to be awesome. But in your moments of true honesty, as you're pulling out of the driveway and you hit the interstate and you point that car for wherever it is that you're headed, there is that moment of terror as you wonder, am I going to be able to make it? We all know what it feels like. Whether you take a new job, you move, you, you, you name it. You've been there where you have heard the enemy taunt you and ask for a champion to come down and do battle and you are terrified and deeply shaken. So what does it take to be able To answer the challenge of the enemy. I want to go to a New Testament passage real quick. It's in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we hear this and we think, that's what I want. I want to be transformed. I want to be different. How is it that I need to, to renew my mind so that so that I don't have to be like the world, that I can be victorious, that I can be a champion? And oftentimes we run off and we try to get different Bible studies and we get different self-help books and we want to renew our mind. But here's something cool about this. Paul uses this word transformed. And it's a word that in the New Testament is used only two other times. Once is when Jesus is on the mount that we call transfiguration. Where when I was in elementary school and and going to Sunday school, we would have these lessons to talk about Jesus going up on the mountain with his three closest friends. And all of a sudden then, there are these patriarchs of old that show up. And Jesus' face begins to change. And there is this color. There is this light that comes. And you hear this this sound, at least when you're in elementary school, you do. You read that and it's like, hoo! You know, Mount of Transfiguration. Ooh. That's the word that is used in that passage when Jesus' face was transfigured. It was changed. Paul also uses it when he talks to the Corinthians. And he says... Listen, there was a time when Moses would would wear this veil over his face after he had been having conversation with God. And he wore the veil because his face was glowing and with radiance because he had been in God's presence. And he would wear this veil and that radiance would fade. And he would say, "That, that represents the old fading covenant. He said, but the new covenant of God is one that has glory that does not fade because you have come into God's presence and that glory continues to shine. And he says, because you have withheld the glory of God, we are being transformed. And he uses this word. And so the two other times that it's used in the New Testament, the the idea is always that transformation occurs because a new view of God has been experienced. So I see God differently now and because I see God differently now there is this transformation that occurs. Whether it be in the face of Jesus or in the face of those who follow after Jesus. The life of those who follow after Jesus. And so he says, listen, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now earlier in chapter 11 he had just got finished writing about the awesome power of God. He finishes it up at the very end of that chapter. Now remember, they didn't have chapters then. It all just flowed together. So he gives this great picture of God and then he flows right into this idea that you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now let me tell you why all that's so important and it deals with our story. At some point in time, all of you were handed one of these. You were given a box. Maybe it was given to you by your parents. Maybe it was given to you by your church denomination. Maybe it was given to you by the Christian school that you attended. And you were told this is God's box. This is the box that God fits in. And so you learned how God works. And what God does. And what God does not do. And now for all of your life you've walked around with this box. And you've walked around and you have understood life. To the extent that you have understood how God fits into this particular box. And our boxes have all kinds of of labels that we write on them. Labels such as, God doesn't work like He used to. Labels like, God. Can't forgive what I did. We we write labels on this box that say, God can't use my gifts. And you've got your own sharpie and you've got your own box and you've written your own label on what the God that lives in this box can or cannot do. Now, here's why this is important. Your view of God will color every challenge that you encounter. Your view of God will color every challenge that you encounter. When you go into the classroom in a few days, when you go to work tomorrow, the next time you go to the doctor's office, The next time you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone in your family, your view of God will color every challenge that you encounter. You're on one side, the enemy is on the other, and depending on the view that you have of God, it will determine how you act and how it is that you react. And so when Saul and the Israelites heard the champion of the Philistines come out and defy the armies of the living God and say, send me a champion, it says they were terrified. Because the God of their box was smaller than the champion of the Philistines. And that's when a guy named David comes on the scene. And David shows up and has a little bit of a different perspective. And you know the story how he walks down and takes those five smooth stones and goes to approach the champion. But here was his perspective. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today, the Lord will conquer you. David's box was different than everybody else's. The God, the God of David's box did not fill him with fear, instead it filled him with faith that he was able to go and, and take this challenge. Now oftentimes when we tell this story, we tell it from the perspective of one little boy named David down by the babbling brook. Remember that song? And one little boy named David, five little stones he took. And one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round, round and round and round and round and round and round. round round. One little stone went up, 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 and the giant came tumbling down. We tell that story, and then all of a sudden, we look at our children, and we look at one another, and we say, listen, you're David, and this classroom that you're going into is your Goliath. You're David, and... This opportunity that you have now with this new job, that's your Goliath. You're David and the cancer's Goliath. You're David and and all of these different challenges and the bullies on the playground and everything else that bothers and concerns you. That's your Goliath. And it's huge and it's big and you're a little bitty. And you go out there and you have the faith of David and you do the best job that you can. And we present the story as if David was actually at a disadvantage when he went to Goliath. But here's the thing. During this time, there were three different classification of warriors. You had those who were cavalry. You had the infantry. And then you had those who were of a third category. And they made up the projectile hurlers. And they shot the arrows. And they were the ones that manned the slingshots. And some of those slingers could take down an enemy from some two hundred yards away. And everybody knew that slingers beat infantry. And when Goliath calls for his champion, he is assuming that another man will come down and face him one-on-one in infantry combat. David's like, no, mm mm-mm, I'm not going to do that. I'm a slinger. And I've taken down a lion, and I've taken down a bear, and I've got the Lord, the God of heaven's armies, and so he goes down, and he gets that rock, and he puts it in that sling, and And Goliath falls. Goliath falls, and everybody is stunned. Everybody is stunned at what takes place. And then I want you to see what happens next. First Samuel chapter 17 verse 51. It says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines. Now here's what's, so, here's what's so cool about that. Now earlier, the armies of Israel were on one side and the, the armies of the Philistines were on the other and the armies of Israel were terrified. And all of a sudden, the champion of God walks down to take on the champion of the Philistines and the champion of God is victorious and now all of those Israelites... All of those people in the army, all of those battle-hardened soldiers are filled with a new life and a new spirit and with a shout of triumph, they rush down into the valley and they chase the Philistines. And it's again here in our story that oftentimes we look at our children and say, you too can be victorious just like David was. And here is where we set them and ourselves up for failure. Because all of you have been in a situation before where you have faced the enemy. And the enemy won. And you look back on your Sunday school education and you said, why couldn't I win? like David. And maybe you became very discouraged because you thought, well, if I can't win that battle, I'm not going to be able to win any others either. I mean, if I can't win the battle over my my tongue, if I can't win the battle over the way that I speak and the words that I say and the, the... The venom sometimes that just comes out of my mouth. If I can't win that battle just over the way that I talk, how am I going to be victorious over battles that deal in a lot larger ways when it comes to my faithfulness to my family, when it comes to my fidelity in my finances? How am I going to win those battles if I can't even control the way that I speak? And so we come and we sit in churches. And we listen to preachers. And we hear stories of the great men and women of old who triumphed. And we come to the conclusion God must not work like that anymore. Because I just can't win. I don't want to drink, and I drink. I don't want to be angry and I become angry. I want to be able to have fulfilling relationships and it just seems like things just keep falling apart. I want to do better in my prayer life. I want to read my Bible. I I want to be an example to my children. And it just seems like time and again, it fails. So here's what I think we've been missing. God never intended for this story to be told in a way where we would leave thinking we were David going off to face Goliath. David was the anointed of God. David had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He was God's anointed. He was God's chosen The people chose Saul to be king. God chose David. And when you look back in that particular history and story, the prophet of God goes to David's father and starts going through all the brothers, trying to find who this king's going to be. And the voice of God keeps saying, it's not that one. It's not that one. He's not the one I've chosen. I've chosen somebody. You just haven't seen him yet. David was the one that was chosen by God. He was God's anointed, and it was God's chosen and anointed that went down into the valley to face the champion of the enemy. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Does it sound like a familiar story that you've heard before from Scripture? Does it sound like Jesus of Nazareth, the anointed of God, The chosen of God, the one and only son of God, who came into the valley to destroy the work of the devil? You see, here's how we need to go and handle all the different struggles that we're going to face coming up. We need to go believing in our champion. Guys, you're not David. That wasn't what that story was supposed to show. That wasn't the picture that you were supposed to glean. You were supposed to glean one that appeared weak, but who was actually strong. One who nobody else gave any faith in, but who had total faith in God. Walked down into the valley and said, I will stand up for the army of the Lord. And I will be the champion. In 1 John chapter 3 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so it's our responsibility then to do exactly what the Israelites did. When they saw that the champion of God was victorious, they had a shout of triumph. And they rushed after the enemy army. And so here you are. You're going to school in the next few weeks. You're going off to college. And you're thinking about all the different struggles that you're going to have. And all the different pressures that are going to come your way. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand up against it. I've got this, I've got this Goliath that's standing there that's, that's all about how I see myself and the way that that others see me. And I've got all these Goliaths of insecurity that stand around, all these Goliaths of peer pressure that are around. You need to understand something. Your champion has already been victorious. And it is your responsibility to chase after the enemy with a shout. And so the Goliath of fear Has already been destroyed, and you chase after those things that bring you terror in the name of God. The Goliath of doubt has already fallen. And so you walk now into the locker room, into the classroom, you walk into the boardroom with faith, understanding that it doesn't matter what others think about you because you know what God thinks of you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You believe in your champion. And you chase after the enemy you say but chris if my enemy's dead then why do i keep having these struggles come back next week we're going to talk exactly about that all right we are we're going to talk about that but in the meantime i want to reintroduce to you somebody that some of you have forgotten about all right it's this guy here do you remember the nature boy I've been blessed uh, to um, volunteer and coach football, uh, middle school football, the last few years. And uh, this year I'm going to hang out with some of our church family here who are also involved in coaching. And uh, our head coach, uh, Jeff Legg, has reminded the kids, actually not reminded them, I guess introduced them for the first time, to this dude. Nature boy, Ric Flair, was a professional wrestler. And he was known as someone who was very braggadocious. And he was known as someone with a lot of style and with a lot of flair. And he was known to make a shout or two. He was known to get everybody riled up and go, woo, right? Now, here's what I want you to think of. We are told that when the armies of the Lord saw That the champion of God had been victorious. That they let out a shout of triumph and rushed after the enemies of God. So, I want you to practice with me for a minute, all right? All right? I want you to practice. Here's what I want you to do. You're just going to repeat and do—you do what I do, right? Ready? Give me one clap. All right, got to work on some of you here. You weren't ready for that. All right, here we go. Give me one clap. Give me two claps. Give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! You say, wait a minute. My God doesn't do that. There might be a lot of things that you think your God doesn't do. But could it be that your God is too small? Like the God of the armies of Israel. See if if your God always votes like you do, your God is too small. If your God only goes to your church, your God is too small. If your God has never brought you to tears because of His grace and mercy, if He has never filled you with awe because of His power, then your God is too small. If your God can't handle the champions of the enemy at your school and in the classroom and on the ball fields and in the locker rooms, then your God is too small. If your God cannot do battle with the destructive behaviors that have just encompassed your life, then your God is too small. And if your God doesn't fill you with shouts of triumph, then your God is too small. And so, here's what we all need to do. We need to open up our box. You've all got one. Everybody came in here today with a God box. And it's time that you leave today with it open. And you all need to look in and understand something. You walked in with your God box of how you just knew God worked and what He did and what He was capable of and the power that He could fill you with. But understand something, every single one of our boxes was empty when we walked in because God doesn't do boxes. He's bigger than that. Woo! Your giant has fallen, church. Whatever it is that you are afraid of, Whatever it is that whispers in your ear and tells you that you can't achieve, whatever it is that holds you back from living in the power of the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul said, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything that we could ask or imagine, that is the God that we serve. It's the God that David walked into the valley with, and it's the God that you're going to walk into school with, and your guys are going to go to Ole Miss with. It's the God that those of you who are heading to Harding, that's the God that's going to be there. It's the same God that's going to be in downtown Chattanooga. He's going to be in Ottawa. He's going to be all around this city, all around this state. He's going to be all around the world, no matter where you go during this next week. So you give a shout of triumph, because your giant has fallen, and Jesus Christ is the champion of all. And if you'd like to stand and give Him praise, I encourage you to do so right here and right now.